Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based organizations or groups in any way. Today's episode is the final episode of season two. And you know, it's been such a journey. This podcast has been going now for a year and to be in 20 countries and have all the listeners and all the views that consistently the people who tune in to, to listen to every single episode that I have, it just means so much to me. I can't express the gratitude enough to all my listeners all across the world. It means so, so much to me. You know, when I first started this thing, I was a couple days out of prison. I had this vision. I had this dream. I had this plan. I mapped it out. I spent a year just thinking about it, some topics, the flow of it, the mission statement. And I planned and I planned and I planned. And the key to the plan is to execute it. And I feel like I've done a decent job executing it. And I'm excited for what the future holds for this podcast and the reach that ultimately is continuing to widen and grow every single day. And I started it two days and I, I didn't stop. And it's been a year now. And I look back on this year, the first season, the second season now coming to an end. And it's just something really cool. I'm just super grateful that you know people tune in and it's helping people. And originally, and I told my wife originally when I wanted to start this podcast, if there was just one person, if this podcast reached one person and that one person got the help they need, they got into the detox they need, they found recovery, they got a big book, they found a path of recovery, if just one person and only one person recovered from this thing or just had the ability to start their journey of recovery, this thing to me would be a success. And fortunately, it's just been so much more than I ever dreamed it could be. So I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who listens and continues to follow me. You know, over the last year, I've got a ton of different questions. I mean, hundreds of questions pour in all the time. I see them. I just haven't had the chance to respond specifically to them. So I want to take the final episode of season two to just answer some, I mean, a very small percentage of the questions that I get, just to let everyone know, man, I hear you. I'd love to answer all of them. And over a period of time, I will. And so the next season, while we're talking about it, is going to be season three. And season three is going to be my recovery team from Sanctuary Recovery Centers. It's going to be my, they're part of my recovery. And it's the team that we continue to work together on a day-to-day -day basis to provide recovery for the newcomers. So I'm going to bring all my team members on, interview them. They're the Sanctuary All-Stars. That's what season three is going to be all about. And I wanted to just take this opportunity, man, just to really answer a few of these questions. You can also find me on YouTube now. I have a Powerless to Powerful YouTube channel. I have another podcast that I do with my recovery team from work. It's called Sanctuary Radio. You can find it on all the platforms. You can find it on YouTube, Sanctuary Recovery Centers. It's a beautiful thing that's going on there. So tune in. I got videos everywhere. I got multiple podcasts. Just continue to enjoy the material and reach out to me, you know, and, and, and just be a part of because recovery is a team sport. And I want you to be a part of my team. So I want to get into some of these questions. I'm going to look a few of them up here. So uh, the first question I'm going to do is from a Yolanda O. She's out of Gilbert, Arizona. Her question is, what is the hardest part of long-term sobriety? And it's a very important question. We know the odds of recovery just aren't in our favor. Whatever you choose to believe or grasp or, or the percentages or the numbers, for me, it's one out of 10. One out of 10 makes it more than four years. And for the grace of God, I'm the one today. Right? I have over four years of recovery, but the hardest part about it all is just continuing to maintain your recovery on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, that's the hardest part because stopping isn't the problem. It's staying stopped and wanting to stay stopped. 
So, you know, the biggest thing for me that I have to watch out for is when I think that I got things figured out in ego, when I'm not coachable and I'm not teachable, right? That's when I'm starting to fall into relapse behavior because we know relapse happens well before we actually use. It's the manifestation of our illness. It's the character defects, right? And so being aware of those and handling them right away because we're human, right? So I want to, I want to act in defect. I want to be negative. I want to be ungrateful. I want to, I want to do those things. So I have to stay out of my own way. But when I look at the hardest part of it, when I think about that question, and I haven't read any of these before, I'm just kind of picking some of the ones I see on here off. You know, when I think about the hardest part for me at this point, it's not very hard because I structure every single day around experiencing spirituality in my life. And so I continuously do those things and it allows me to get to do recovery, not have to do recovery. It's not a chore. I enjoy to do it because it's given me the most amazing life that I couldn't even have dreamed of. But it's hard at times, right? Because we have work and we have family and we have hobbies and all these things are coming back to us. But we have to maintain our recovery because without that, we don't have anything. And it's just something that we always have to maintain. It's that awareness. Um, the second question, I hope that answered the question, but the second question I want to I want to bring up here is uh, from Ron A. Ron A, Glendale, Arizona. And his question is, how do you balance recovery, personal life, and work? I mean, that must be the million-dollar question. Balance. The easiest way when I speak about balance and I talk about balance and I think about balance in my own, in my own life, it's intake versus output. How much do I give and how much do I take in? How much do I take in through self-care? How much do I take in through spirituality? And how much do I give, whether it's service? Of course, in service work, we take some things in, right? But how much do I give at work? How much do I give? And I always have to make sure those things are in balance because it's recovery, it's personal life, it's work, it's all those things. And, you know, for me, it was real difficult. You know, I did seven years in prison. I got out and I tried to make up for seven years all in in, uh, one weekend. You know, so I have to understand that every day I got to make the most of it, but I also have to take time to be present, to be aware and to take care of myself. Because if I'm not spiritually fit, then I can't help anybody, you know. And so, you know, you guys know you've been listening to me for a long time, right? You know, I did seven years in prison. I was going to five meetings a week. I was sponsoring 10 guys at all times. You know, I was doing all these things, but that's not real life out here. So I had to figure that out. What's that look like for me? And for me, it's the non-negotiables of my recovery. I have to keep those in check. And that's how I balance everything else. Going to meetings, having a home group, a service commitment, a sponsor, and working with a couple guys. That's about max capacity for me today. Two to three sponsees always in the book, and I keep it at that. And from there, that allows me to have an amazing life. You know, but balance is a struggle. I don't think anyone ever truly figures out, you know, the most even balance in your life. It's an ebb and flow. Some weeks are better than others. But no matter what, I talk about the way I feel. I share in the relationships in my life. I share my plans, right? I ask what people think. People hold me accountable. People who know me for me and genuinely have concern about me. And in doing so, it allows me to maintain balance. And ultimately, all we gain through recovery is awareness. So I start to become aware of when I'm tired. I start to become aware when I'm irritated. I start to become uh, aware when I'm being negative. I start to become aware of these things. And it's my job to correct it. The big book, all the other books that that I've read, they give me the ability to apply a tool that I've learned over the years to help me get back into balance. But balance is, is a great question. How do we do it? That's the million dollar question. My third question I want to bring up, let me see here. 
My third question is from James S. in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And his question is, what scares you about recovery? You know, today, you know, I have healthy fears, right? There's such thing as healthy fears. I have a healthy fear of relapse. I have, a, I have some healthy fears, but nothing truly scares me, right? When I did my four step and I looked at those fears and I really examined my fears, what's the fear and why is it the fear? And then the second thing I do is examine what self-reliance has done for me, right? What does Jason do? How does Jason handle these things running on self-will? And then I look at God's sufficiency, which I choose to, to live in today to the best of my abilities. The opposite of fear is faith. And I have so much faith today because of experience that I know no matter what happens today in my life, it could be relationship problems, it could be financial problems, it could be work problems, whatever scares me or brings me fear, I know it's gonna be okay. I know it. As long as I do my part and try my best to contribute to the solution instead of living the problem, that God will provide the outcomes, positive ones in my life. And the opposite of fear is faith. You know, what scares me about just recovery in general is the low success rate. That scares me. Fentanyl scares me. Seeing the way that it is just ripping through all across the nation and the world. It's just something that is sad, but you can treat it. But what scares me is most people don't have the opportunity to do so because they don't make it to the rooms. They don't make it to detox. They don't make it to treatment. But for me, my own recovery, man, I know God will provide as long as I do my part. The fourth question is from Stephanie M. She's in San Diego, California, and she asks what recovery means to me. So her question is, what does recovery mean to you? You know, everyone has a different opinion. I'm not here to d determine, you know what your recovery should look like or what my recovery is versus your recovery. What does recovery mean to me? Recovery means to me recovering from a hopeless condition of mind and body. It means several different things, right? And that's, you know, the mental obsession, the physical allergy. That's what we have. I obsess over wanting to change the way I feel. I put some, any substance into my body. I get a physical reaction. That physical reaction is craving, right? And so when I think about that, right, a good description of being recovered is when the obsession to want to change the way um, I feel has been removed, right? I'm not in the midst of a physical craving. Another good description of being recovered would be when character defects just don't feel so good anymore. Today, if I harm somebody, today, if I miss a commitment, today, if I live in resentment, you know, today, if I lie to someone, if I take something that's not mine, doesn't matter how small it is, it's uncomfortable to me. That shows me that sanity has returned. But recovery is recovering something, right? I'm there to recover something, right? And what I'm recovering is myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The big book talks about, and there's a solution, being rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which I'd not even dreamed. And those four dimensions are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And today, I've recovered those areas. Physically, I feel better than I've ever felt. But I have to do my part in order to get there. I go to the gym. I play sports, right? I try to eat healthy. You know, spirituality, I, that's the one of the other four dimensions. Spiritually, I'm ever-evolving. I've identified how to experience God in my life, and I introduce those things into my lifestyle. Mentally, I'm sharp. I engage my mental capacity on a day-to-day -day basis because I'm present, I'm aware, and I apply myself. And emotionally, I get a feel today. I've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which I not even dreamed. I've recovered those. So I'm out there to recover something. Right. And that's kind of just what recovered and recovery kind of means to me. But I'm there to just get back to find my identity, 
be able to answer the who am I? What's my purpose? That's what I'm recovering. My morals, my values, my belief system, my actions finally reflected. Um, so that's what recovery means to me. Let's look at another one here. I guess this would be the fifth question. Uh, let's do this one. Uh, Michael W. from Rochester, New York. Shout out to Rochester. I had a sister lived out there. My parents lived out there. Shout out to everyone out in Rochester, New York. Um, the question is, what is your definition of being powerless? That's a good question. You know, when you get to step one, you really start to think about the powerlessness and the unmanageability, you know, um, because if you try to identify the difference between the two, it can be extremely difficult. So the easiest way I could explain powerless versus unmanageable, powerless is the internal struggle and unmanageable is the external struggle. But powerless means to me lack of choice. I have no choice in the matter. I, I can't not, not get high. I don't want to do it, but I do it. No control, right? No choice. Poor control of the amount I use. Continued use despite negative consequences, right? I say that I'm going to go home after a Friday night, just have a couple beers with the coworkers, but I can't do that. I want more. I want more. It's because of the physical craving, you know? And so when I think about that, there's one thing that sticks out to me. And a good description of powerless is the baffling feature of addiction. And the baffling feature from step one is the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I don't want to do it. I, I wish it. I pray it. I see the need in every aspect of my life, but I can't not not use. I have no choice in the matter. Once I cross into that, I just I'm on autopilot. I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. But remember, powerless is internal. Unmanageable is external. So let's do another one here. And the next one I want to do is Pat O. And Pat O is in Dublin, Ireland. Um, and his question is, what's the difference between spirituality and religion? You know, and, and so that's one of the things, you know, the whole chapter of We Agnostics is designed because it's a big obstacle for a lot of people, the whole God thing, right? But the easiest way I could explain the difference, you know, um, between spirituality and religion would be spirituality is an experience. Religion is organized. Spirituality is the way I experience God prayer, meditation, physical fitness, um, step work, service work, um, being present in the relationships in my life, being a good father, brother, husband, and son. When I get to experience that, that's spirituality. It's an experience. And religion would be organized. Um, so I hope that kind of makes sense. you know. And, and this is just my opinion and my answers and the way that I feel. And it's just the way that I'm able to understand them. Because remember, no matter what we do, the power from the knowledge comes from the application of it. Let's take another question here. Um, let's see. I got Jonathan B and he's in Dallas, Texas. And his question is, do the 12 steps only apply to drugs and alcohol? You know, if anyone knows me and you guys have been listening to me and following me a long time, I think that every single person on the planet should work the steps. It's designed for you to become the best versions of yourself. That's what it's designed for. The book really, really has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. What we're always talking about is the alcoholic mentality and that alcoholic mentality that we have, that thinking problem is the character defects that we possess. Um, but I think everyone, you can be powerless and unmanageable over uh, so many different things. Really, only step one has really anything to do with drugs and alcohol. The rest is just designed for you to become the best version of yourself or the finest specimen of manhood as one could ever wish to meet, like it says at the end of the doctor's opinion. But each step, the step two gives me the ability to connect to a higher power that gives me strength to make some changes in my life. Three, I'm making a decision to be a better person, right? I'm making a decision to do the next right thing. And I'm just keeping it bare minimum as I explain this. 
the fourth step gives me the ability to recognize resentments, understand my part in situations, gives me a bunch of tools that when resentments happen, I'm able to handle them in a healthy way, not contribute to the problem and let it affect every area of my life. The fourth step, the, the second part, the fears, gives me the ability to establish God's sufficiency to start to overcome my fears. So today, if I have a fear, I know how to handle it. Um, you know, then sex inventory in the four steps, all about relationships, right? Really, truly at its deepest core, it's about relationships. The fifth step gives me the ability to take the power out of all the horrible secrets that I carry. And when I think about them or attach to them, they make me feel poorly about myself and I want to change the way I feel. So it gives me the ability to understand it's okay being who I am. The sixth step where I create my identity, always watch who I am, character defects, character assets. If I switch a defect to an asset, that strengthens my identity. I can always do a six. I can always do a five. I can always do a four. You know, eight and nine is, gives me the ability to own my crap, make amends when I own. 10, 11, and 12 are the maintenance steps. So ultimately, all it's designed for you to do is gain awareness and become the best versions of yourself. I think every single person on the planet should work the steps because I'll tell you one thing. You got everything to gain and nothing to lose from doing it. Let's take another question. So let's see. Um, I guess I think this would be about the eighth one. Uh, Jimmy D from Rome, Italy. Shout out to all the Italians out there. You guys know I'm Italian. Shout out to all the Italians. Um, so Jimmy D's question is, what does a healthy relationship look like? Well, that's a million dollar question, right? That's another million dollar question, right? Because life is a series of relationships. Some people will look at the steps in relationship format. Steps one, two, and three is designed for you to develop a relationship with God. Four, five, six, and seven is designed for you to develop a, a relationship with self again. Eight and nine is the relationships with others. 10 is the maintenance of the relationship with self. 11 is the maintenance of relationship with God. And 12 is the maintenance of relationship with others. You know, and so the, the sex inventory is really about relationships. You know, what I see is, is that first off, I treat women horribly. The next thing I see is I'm incapable of having a meaningful relationship because I'm involved in them and I'm selfish and that doesn't check out. And I'm dishonest and I'm inconsiderate, right? And I'm a thief and I manipulate and I lie and I do all these things. So I have to understand what a healthy relationship looks like. There's three different types of relationships. Codependency, most people are familiar with that. There's a couple levels to it. Like my wife being a normie and dealing with an addict, my mom and my dad having to deal with an addict as their child, right? There's a different level of codependency. Then you have a codependent relationship where there's two individuals in active addiction, and we know what that's all about. Um, then there's counterdependence, which is also unhealthy, and that's like extreme isolation. And in my addiction, I almost become counterdependent. I just want to get high alone, leave me alone. But what a healthy relationship looks like is called interdependency, right? It's based off five characteristics, joint action, shared decisions, honesty, open communication, and genuine concern for one another. That's what a healthy relationship looks like. Without those sexual relationships, friendships, that's how you establish them. And it's got to be a two-way street. Those are the five major characteristics. We introduce those things into our into everyone we have and be very particular with the people we let in our circle. All right, let me take another one here. And let's see, I got uh, number nine, Ryan W. from Phoenix, Arizona. His question is, do you know when the obsession was removed from you? And I actually do. And so I have been in prison and I've been working the steps and sponsoring a ton of different guys and teaching a drug class. And, you know, I would still have these thoughts. You know, I would see like Blue Moon. That was my favorite type of beer. I would see Blue Moon commercials. 
And I would start thinking, am I really never going to drink? That looks good. What about beer with my dad at a football game? What about on my wedding night or anniversaries? Weed might be legal. And I had these thoughts occasionally, right? And so I remember I went to my sponsor, shout out to Matt L. And uh, man, Matt, he's actually having twins. I can't wait. Um, he's having twins. It's just an exciting thing to just have that man in my life. And uh, I went over to his house and I said, hey, Matt, I don't, I don't understand why I'm having these feelings, right? I'm sponsoring these guys. I'm doing all these things. Why do I still have these thoughts occasionally about wanting to, to drink or, or smoke weed? You know, and he's like, dude, look, I wanted to tell you something right now. He's like, I'm high right now. And I looked at him like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm high right now. He's like, yeah, I'm high on spirituality. I'm spiritually intoxicated. And every single time I have the ability to experience, because spirituality is an experience, experience my higher power working in my life. I get, I get a little bit more high and I just continue to stay high all day long. And the, the power of God keeps me high. And in that moment at a click for me, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Everything is being restored to me. I have this connection to a higher power that has just performed a miracle in my life. Why would I ever want to change the way I feel? And in that moment, the obsession was, was removed, you know, and anyone who tells you, you know, further in recovery, they don't have thoughts and these, you know, insane, insane thoughts creep into their mind. You know, they're lying. Right. And so they'll happen. They just become passing shadows. You almost laugh it off. I'm like, there's my disease trying to it's real cunning. Right. And I just laugh it off. And it's so few and far in between these days. Um, but I, I'll never forget that day when he told me he was spiritually intoxicated. And the family afterwards says we've indulged in spiritual intoxication. And it really it really drove it home in that moment. I've been spiritually intoxicated for over four years now. And so don't get don't get me wrong. I like the effects produced by drugs and alcohol and weed and all that stuff right in here, right now in this moment. But what I like the effects of far greater than any drug is the effects produced by God in my life today. So that's a great question. I like that one. So the 10th one um, is let me find. Let's see. Oh, Reno, Nevada. OK, hold on. So this is Walt S. Reno, Nevada. How do you not get complacent? That's the question. Well, I mean, step 10 really talks about that. Step 10 says, you know, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. And laurels will be like previous accomplishments or, you know, getting to this far in our program, step 10, or being complacent. It's easy to rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do, because drugs and alcohol is a subtle foe. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. This disease doesn't go away. We're not cured of alcoholism or addiction. We have a daily reprieve. A reprieve is a stay from execution. So this thing's trying to kill me every single day. And I have a reprieve, a stay from execution, contingent on me maintaining my spiritual condition. You know, I just have to keep those non-negotiables that I talked about when I answered a previous question in line and understand that no matter what life is, what life throws me right now, no matter what it is, it's not as bad as it was my last day in active addiction. It's going to be okay. And having an attitude of gratitude solves everything every time. But really understanding that it's life or death. I'm either living or choosing to live or choosing to die. I'm either working on recovery or I'm working on a relapse. I just continue to stay the course, stay out of my own way, put one foot in front of the other because constant never-ending growth. But again, recovery is a team sport. I got great men around me. You know, Josh S. and Adam T. and, you know, um, so many more. Justin, you know, 
Justin F and you know all the guys that, and, and women, men and women who Ron A and, and Lanny and all those people that I the all, recovery all stars from season two, they're all part of my recovery and they keep me accountable as well to make sure that I don't fall victim, uh, you know, to a belief which we all have that my long period of sobriety and self discipline qualifies me now to get drunk or high like other men. But that's a that's a great question. You see it happen all the time. And usually when someone relapses like in that been in the program and been, you know, on fire, like, what happened, man? Well, I stopped going to meetings. That's usually the or or you see what happens. I met this girl. We make a relationship our higher power. It's easy to get complacent, but we have to stay on track. Let's take another one. This one is from uh, I guess this would be eleven. I want to do about fourteen or fifteen questions. Just some of the main ones that stick out to me. So this is number 11, Anna B. She's from Miami, Florida. And uh, her question is, does your wife ever get upset about you working with a sponsee? <laughs> I mean, that's a good one, right? You know, I have, I work in recovery. I sponsor a bunch of different people. I have three service commitments. I go to three different facilities, uh, different than the one that I work at on the weekends. And she doesn't get upset about it, right? Like, you know, she waited seven years for me. You know, all she wants to do is just be with me and, and do family things and be a part of my life and laugh together and just experience life together because that's what it's truly all about. But what she also understands is that if I don't have recovery in my life, if I don't go when my phone rings anytime, day or night, if I don't answer it and be of service and help it the best that I can, and I don't go to meetings and I don't work with others, then we don't get to have any life together. And it wasn't easy in the beginning, you know, and I had to find that balance like we talked about and I had to share in the decisions like we just talked about interdependency of relationships. I can't make all the decisions, right? I can't have 15 sponsees anymore. I have to find that balance and in doing so, it allows me to have the ability, you know, for her to understand my recovery, be a part of my recovery. You know, we actually share a meeting together on Saturday nights. I've included her in my recovery as well. You know, but without recovery, I don't have a life. There is no us. And she understands that today the best she can. Um, but that's a great question. Let's do another one. Danielle P from, uh, oh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And her question is, do you ever get burned out with recovery doing all you do? People ask me that all the time. You know, anyone who knows me knows, you know, I'm always on the move with recovery. You know, I have multiple podcasts now. I have a YouTube channel. I'm creating videos. I, I you know, I've moved up in the company, Sanctuary Recovery Centers I work for. I manage facilities. I run a residential. You know, I coach soccer. I play soccer. Um, you know, I'm step work. You name it. I mean, I, st- I have a full, full life. But the big book also says when we do God's work, we don't tire so easily. I'm not swimming upstream anymore. I'm going with the stream of life. You know, when I need to have self-care and I need to introduce those things into my life, I don't I don't have to do recovery. I get to do recovery. That's the way I look at it. My friends are in recovery. I, I get a spiritual reward from being at meetings and hearing other people share because I believe, and I heard this from Ron A., my God wears people clothes. And when he said that to me a while back, I just, I really like that. I get experience God through others. My God wears people clothes. There's so much to it. I haven't been burned out on it yet. You know, I, like I said, people always people who know me know. I always tell you, I've been on a pink cloud for four years. I hate when people say, hate's a strong word, but I, I dislike when people say, well, I fell off the pink cloud. I've been on a pink cloud for four years. Why? Because I continue to do daily what got me on that cloud. So I'm not tired. And I love recovery. It's given me the most amazing life. Let's do another one. Um, Jackie J from Long Beach, California. Is recovery fun? 
you know, everyone has this thing, you know, my clients or any, you know, my sponsees, they're like, well, what am I going to do for fun and recovery? And they say it all the time. It's like, oh, you were having real, you were having fun being homeless, eating out of dumpsters in the summer. You were having fun panhandling. You were having fun getting high in an abandoned house. Oh, I, I, I misunderstood. Oh, I didn't know you were on a winning streak when you came here. Right? Like I was having so much fun. But recovery is so much fun, man. It just we get to have this life where I get to experience God. I get to, you know, be a coach to my daughter, and I get to pick her up from school, and I get to have a have a new baby, and I get to play sports, and I get to witness miracles through the grace of God on a day to day basis. Every I went skydiving. I get to have all this recovery community of amazing men and women around me, and we get to not only do meetings but dinners and events. And I mean, there's so much to do. That every single day I'm smiling because I'm just having an amazing and an enormous amount of fun on a day-to-day basis. Even just doing yard work for my dad is fun because finally I get to help him. There's so much fun out there. You know, we just have to get to that point where our brain chemicals start to level out. We get to experience euphoria and the dopamine starts producing itself again. So we get to appreciate and experience. You know what the best thing, the most fun thing there is to do? is feel today. I get to feel my emotions, good and bad. I was numb for so long. I get to feel today and there's nothing better than that. Let's take one more. So this question is, let's see, let me get a good one. Um, Kyle D. Oh, this is the, this is the question I get most often. Kyle D. Phoenix, Arizona. Can I be on your podcast? This is the most common one that I get, you know, can I be on your podcast? People reach out to me all the time and I would love to have every single one of you on my podcast and I just don't have the time to do it to record that many episodes, but I will. I'll continue to reach out to every single person who lives in Arizona, who has the ability to be on my podcast. I'll continue to schedule you because balance and everything that goes along with that. You know, because every single one of you are worth it. Every single one of you are a miracle. And every single one of you has some part of your story. It doesn't matter where you're at in addiction. It doesn't matter where you're at in recovery. None of that matters because every single person has a message that somebody out there struggling can learn from. So I'd love to have everyone on your show, on my show. So reach out to me on my Facebook, Powerless to Powerful. Um, you can reach out on my personal podcast, Jason and Sarah on Facebook, um, on my personal Facebook page. You can reach out to me on my Instagram. You can reach out to me on my Powerless to Powerful YouTube. You know, get at me. You want to be on the show? Get at me. Let's schedule it. Let's get you on. I just want to continue to bring a message of hope to as many people as I could possibly bring because that's what this thing's all about. You know, I have so many different questions on here and I'd love to sit here for the next four hours and answer all 150 plus of them, however many there are, because there's a lot of them. I just searched out some of the comments I had on previous episodes and I hope you guys understand how much I value you, how much it means to me that you support me and you're a part of my journey. You guys are all part of my recovery. So season three is going to be starting soon. And I'm going to be bringing on, like I said, a bunch of the Sanctuary All-Star team members that are not only a part of my recovery, but part of my team as well. Um, I'm going to have Yolanda O on there. I'm going to have uh, Ashley S. I'm going to have Valerie P on there. I'm going to have Jesse M on there. I'm going to have all Ryan F. There's so many. Joey L, the owner. I'm going to have all the recovery team on there. Haley, Haley C. There's so many people. This is going to be a long season. 
but I want to get every one of the recovery all-stars for my team on there. I want them to share their message of hope and how they work in recovery and continue to maintain their recovery and find balance and continue to have fun in recovery and to answer every single one of those questions that I answered today through their own message of experience, strength, and hope. So please continue to follow me, continue to tune into my content and continue to be a part of my journey because I'm forever grateful for all the listeners out there and especially the ones that reached out all across the world. Thank you for being part of my recovery today.